0: Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. So it's Matthew 5, 1 to 10. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Amen. Thank you, Susie. Please do grab a seat. So... As, um, as Pete shared, we, we really feel like this is a moment in time when God is doing something in our midst. Um, when Adam and I um, began leading this congregation just under a year ago now, um, we really felt like the word that God gave us was um, from the story of Moses. And you might remember we looked at that story and we looked at this, this moment when Moses is walking through the desert and he sees the burning bush. And, um, and as we know, the, the, it wasn't entirely uncommon for there to be bushfires. But there was something different about this one. And Moses, as he's walking, something catches his eye. Something different, something out of the ordinary it catches his eye. And the scripture says, he turned aside And he goes to see what it is. And when he realizes what it is, he takes off his shoes because he realizes it is holy. And we said at that time, we want to be a people. We want to be a congregation within this city who are people who turn aside when the Lord is in our midst. And this is one of those moments we feel. So it is very exciting um, for me to be opening the scriptures this morning and to be continuing our series right at the perfect moment in this passage where we get the line, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Because isn't that what we want? We want to be a people who see God This is something that we want to go after together. See, there's something about our purity of heart that sets the stage for our encounter with God. There's something about holiness that seems to leverage encounter. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? Let's dig into this this morning Charles Spurgeon once said, surely if men's hearts were right, short sermons would be enough. (laughs) And I'm afraid I've got bad news. (laughs) I have many pages of notes, so I don't know what that says about us, but let's strap in and look at the pure of heart. And remember, Peter's helpful framing a few weeks back. When we look at the Beatitudes, it isn't as simple as a list of virtues to aspire to. Remember, he talked about the perspective and how um, they aren't all virtues. But there is something about this one that I think it is aspirational. I think Jesus is holding it up as a blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. It's an objective reality, but it is one of those ones that we can see and go after we can become those who fit into this category. So firstly, why does it matter what goes on in our hearts? Well, I have come to believe that there is nothing that impacts your life more than the contents of your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. One other translation describes the heart as the wellspring of your life. Which sounds really pretty, but what does that actually mean? I think the idea is that in a city there would be a source of life, a well, a source of water, of sustenance. And from this source, it would flow out to every part of the city. So if the well, if the source of the water was clean and clear and pure, then the whole city would be vibrant and teeming and full of life. But if the well is polluted, then it begins to cause sickness and stagnation and thirst and all kinds of problems reaching every area of life. Above all else, the scripture says, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of your life. It is the deep source from which everything else flows. And so our hearts, I believe, are a little bit like the well, like the central water supply within us. When they are healthy and filled with good things, the overflow of that produces life and goodness and health in all of our speech and our relationships and our actions. But of course, the reverse is also true. If that well is being constantly filled with dark or poisonous substances, then the overflow into our speech, into our relationships, into our actions will necessarily be affected. Jesus puts it this way, trying to tie the link between our eyes and our hearts. He says, says, The eye is the lamp of the body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when they're unhealthy, your whole body is also full of darkness. So he's saying the eyes are kind of the window to our hearts and the heart to the wellspring of our lives. So the things that we allow into our eyes, the things that we allow our eyes to be exposed to are going to have an impact on our interior health. And I certainly don't want to advocate for kind of shutting ourselves off from the things of the world, you know, becoming like... um, that time in that movie footless you know where there's like no movies and no dancing and no like just shut ourselves off from culture because we want to close our eyes to all of these things I'm definitely not advocating for that in fact the verse right before this Jesus says he talks about shining our light into the dark places so how can we do that if we're just closed off to it I don't think that's the approach, but I do think that we actually need to be incredibly mindful of the things that catch our eye, the things we feed our eyes that will actually begin to inform us. It's easier If it's easier to see God when our hearts are pure, then I think it means that it can be harder to spot God at work in the world if too much of that darkness has been allowed inside of us. Fill your eyes with it. Fill your heart with it. Your eye is the lamp of the body. And one of the most controversial things that Jesus did in his teaching about the kingdom is he came along. He took all these Old Testament laws that people already found challenging to uphold. He took them all and he took them even further by saying that if you have just thought about these things, then you already have a problem, whether you've acted on it or not. Because what matters, he says, is your heart. Jesus knew the human heart better than anyone having designed it. And he knew that genuine flourishing on the outside can only occur when our hearts, our motives, our intentions are pure on the inside. This is Jesus' orientation to his kingdom. The inside matters and it matters profoundly. For the Greeks and the Romans, the great human struggle, historically, was between the mind and the passions, right? The stuff of your flesh, the stuff of your body. And so if you wanted to achieve self-control, you learned to sublimate your emotions to reason and to will, kind of mind over body. But for modern people, we find ourselves in this interesting cultural moment where I think the reverse is almost true. Where we kind of we believe our deepest feelings or our strongest emotions are who we really are, and so we must elevate those in order to find full self-expression and to be who we really are. We must not repress or deny any feeling or emotion that comes our way. But I think the Bible teaches neither of the above. It's not head over feelings or feelings overhead. When the Bible talks in the language of the heart, it's talking about the whole of your inner world, your emotions and your reason. And what God seems to do is he comes along and he says, the great battle is not between your emotion and your will. The real struggle happens within one single entity, the human heart. And therefore, The way to live our deepest truth, the way to be truly human and not at war within yourself is to direct this single entity of the heart towards one thing. The great battle is actually deciding what your heart's greatest love, hope and trust will be directed towards. Pick one great love, the love of God, And all the other desires begin to fall into their rightful place. Do you see this? Jesus is offering us a way to be truly human and not at war with ourselves. It's a way of harmony and congruence across our minds, our bodies, our desires, our emotions that is made possible by the relentless pursuit of a sole focus to will one thing that centers, reshapes, and redesigns all our other desires. So everything that comes our way, every emotion or every will or everything that we're trying to battle with and, and come to terms with in our hearts and our heads, Jesus says what we do is we, we make Christ our big love. And everything else has to answer to that. We're no longer at war. We're simply in love. We simply need to take our deepest thinking, our every feeling, and view it first and foremost through the central lens of love for God. In scripture, the heart is used as a metaphor for the seat of our most basic orientation, our deepest commitments, what we trust the most, what we most love, what we most hope in, what we most treasure, and what captures our imagination the direction of the heart then controls everything, right? Our thinking, our, our, our decisions, our actions. And this is why God is described in the Bible as ignoring the outside and looking at the heart. This is why the prophet said that the goal of salvation is not just obedience, but having the law written on your heart, And into all of this walks this man, Jesus. And Jesus does not want to simply command your body. He wants to captivate your heart. Jesus is after your heart because Christianity is not a worldview to believe. It's a person to love. And so to be pure in heart, I believe, is to choose him over everything To make him the seat of our most basic orientation, our deepest commitments. To make him what we most trust in, what we most hope in, what we most treasure and what captures our imagination. Jesus wants our hearts to be orientated on him because that I believe is the true path to flourishing in the kingdom. Or as someone once said, Jesus is not at war with your heart. Jesus is at war for your heart. Soren Kierkegaard, the great philosopher, said, Purity of heart is to will one thing. Or to put it another way, seeking purity of heart is not so much about saying no to so many things as it is about saying yes to one thing over and over, making Christ our one thing, our great love, the deepest intention of our hearts. So what does it mean to have purity of heart? Well, to be clear, I think there are two important distinctions when it comes to purity. There is a purity in us that happens when we get saved when we ask Jesus into our heart. The Bible is clear that when we turn to Jesus and ask forgiveness for our sins, when we become washed, the Bible says you become washed as white as snow. Your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. Jesus died on a cross to set us free once and for all, forgive us of our sins and offer us purity. His death brought the reconciliation with God that we could never ourselves have done. And if you're here today and actually you think, I haven't yet received that gift That forgiveness of my sins, that that moment where I ask Jesus to forgive me and I receive the purity that comes with that. If you haven't yet made that step, I want to invite you to do that today. Because it is the best thing that you will ever do is to say yes to Jesus and receive this gift. And we'll give you a chance to do that later. And so when we accept Jesus' gift of salvation, we become completely forgiven we are made pure and holy in God's eyes through Jesus absolutely categorically so there's that purity but I think that what Jesus is talking about in this scripture is something slightly different see we all exist in this tension where we are saved by grace And yet we still exist in a broken world. And we still battle, don't we, with the temptations of the world and the competing desires of our own hearts. And so I think here in this passage, Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart. I think what he's saying is, blessed are the ones who make God their deepest desire and intention. Who focus their hearts in the direction of him making costly regular sacrifices where it is required, curbing their appetites for the world in order that they might taste more of heaven in the here and now. Or in other words, blessed are those who want to see God enough that they express that desire with intent. They posture themselves in that direction. They reorder their lives around the love of God Blessed are they because they will find him. You will find me, God says, when you seek me with all your heart. that single focus. And this is not to do with earning. I think it's about appetite. Do you want more of God? It's a choice that we have. There's something here that isn't about purity for heaven's sake, but purity in the earth. Purity that's not about the eternal realm, but purity that shifts our experience of God right now. Have you ever felt that deep desire for more of God in your life? I think Jesus is whispering a secret of the kingdom here, which is that there is greater experience and encounter available for those who set their hearts on purity. Now, absolutely, God can and does just show up and just knock our socks off out of the blue and do amazing things among us at any moment. Absolutely, he can, he does, and he will. But I think what Jesus is saying here is there is a steady trend within the kingdom of God that says if you watch someone you see someone, you know someone in your life, and they have set their eyes on higher things, right? They, they're someone who makes sacrifices for the sake of wanting more of God. They will switch the channel when the content becomes inappropriate. They will leave the room when people begin to gossip and dishonor others. They will maybe refuse or, uh, a promotion or increase their giving when they're aware that money is becoming too big in the picture for them. They're those who actively posture themselves towards purity of heart the promise that comes with this beatitude is that those people they will be the ones who will see God who will know what he is doing who will experience and encounter him this isn't about earning it's about appetite It is God saying that the human heart contains vast appetites and everyone tries to to fulfill themselves and to fuel these appetites in various ways. But those who curb their appetites for things which will damage them and nurture their appetite for God, it's no surprise then that they will be filled, that they will be satisfied by the presence of God. Are we willing to curb our appetites for the world, in order that we might see more of God. Of course, the thing that we know is that worldly desires ultimately leave us unsatisfied and wanting more. Or as Annie Dillard so eloquently puts it, the life of sensation is the life of greed. It requires more and more. The life of the spirit requires less and less. Time is ample and its passage is sweet. I think Jesus in this beatitude is inviting us to step away from the rat race, the desperate, unrelenting pursuit of happiness, fulfillment, pleasure, which like fast food might taste good for a moment, but ultimately leaves us hungry and deeply unsatisfied. I think like the prodigal son who tries to fill himself with the pods that the pigs are eating, Jesus sees us and he invites us to a real banquet. Encounter an experience of God which will satisfy your desires at every level. I cannot earn my way into deeper encounter with Christ, but I can train my eyes and my heart away from the things which will dull my senses, destroy my soul, and blind my eyes from seeing God. And the upside down truth of all of it is that in denying some of our appetites towards worldly things, we actually discover a life far richer, a life of flourishing and joy and fulfillment. C.S. Lewis says, We are half hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We're distracted by the toys in the window. But when we finally turn our appetites towards God, we discover that there we can finally be filled and fulfilled. Today is, um, is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. And, um, and so I thought I would use an example from my life as a mother. And we have two extraordinary children. They are the greatest things that God has ever placed on this earth. But they... Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> They, um, when they, when they came out, they didn't come with this sleep function, um, neither of them, so people say, you know, oh, are you in a sleep regression, and I'm like, yes, <laughs> always, that's the only mode that we know, um, and I don't know if you've noticed, but there's this funny thing that happens when you have kids, and When you're pregnant and you see people who are already parents and you see them and they say, oh, you are about to enter into the most precious, wonderful season of your life. You are going to experience life in its fullness and it's going to be so precious. And then a few months later and you show up and you're like bedraggled and like bags under your eyes and you haven't slept in weeks and you smell of vomit and... And you see those exact same people, and they turn to you with this look in their eye and they say, Welcome to hell. You'll never sleep again. Has anyone noticed that? It's the exact same people. It's like a little word of word of warning would have been helpful. Anyways, I digress. Our children are terrible sleepers but they share a room and so at the moment we're in this awful habit you know like the rod for your back sleep pattern we're in one of those where we don't want Thea to get disturbed all night long when Noah wakes up so we inevitably pull him into our bed with us and he then loves that he loves the snuggle but there's this lovely thing where in the night he wakes up I mean that's not lovely but if you look over him he wakes up and he'll he'll sort of be all restless and he'll do all of this and he'll wriggle around and he'll sit up and he'll try this position and he'll try this position and he wriggles and he moves and he's restless and he just can't get comfortable and he can't get still and then finally he'll turn over towards me and if I'm facing him he'll just press his little forehead against mine or if I'm the other way around he'll just sort of curve into my spine and you just can watch as Everything just begins to relax in his little body. And he just sort of suddenly finds peace and stillness. And okay, I can go back to sleep. And the great theologian Augustine famously said that there is something in that. That that we we are a little bit like that when it comes to God. He said, our hearts are restless until they rest in him. Our hearts are restless. We go around, we flop this way and we flop that way and we search here and we search there, desperate to try and find that peace, that sense of fulfillment until we find Christ and we can just curve into his spine or put our forehead against his and finally rest Charles Spurgeon said, God has so made man's heart that nothing can ever fill it but God himself. And so, blessed are the pure in heart, happy are the pure in heart because they will see God. Those who seek him will find him and they will know fulfillment. They will know deep satisfaction. Their hearts will finally be free. So how do we cultivate pure hearts? I think we watch our appetites. Are we seeking fulfillment in the wrong places? I think we guard our eyes, the window to our interior world. Adam talked a few weeks back about the profoundly disturbing content that is now the most popular on Netflix. Profoundly disturbing. In a world that seems to hunger for unrighteousness, what would it look like to choose a different banquet to feast our eyes on? To be more guarded with our eyes, and not just in intensity of content, but in intensity of volume. Maybe mindless scrolling might be more problematic than we'd like to believe. For our hearts, what are we letting in our hearts via our eyes? So watch our appetites, guard our eyes, and protect our thoughts, right? What do you dwell on? What do you let your mind chew over and dwell on and meditate on? See, we can't stop thoughts from entering our heads. That is natural and normal. But we can choose which ones we're going to let stay there, which ones we're going to dwell on. And I think that's what Jesus is really focused on. You can't stop an unwanted bird from landing on your head, but you can stop it from building a nest, (laughs) is kind of the idea. Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Dwell on the things that are going to be good for your heart. Fill your eyes your thoughts and your hearts with good things. And what happens when we do that, what comes out of us is love. 1 Timothy 1.5 says this, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The goal is love. Fill yourself with light and your interior world will begin to shine and overflow and bubble over into your body, your speech, your relationships, and your actions. And I, I long for us here in Guildford that we would be a people who go after this, who go after purity of heart in such a way that it begins to transform the city in which we live. We all know that this place, beautiful as it is, is rife with problems. What would it look like to be a people of purity who can actually begin to transform the spaces we occupy by living differently? Philippians 2.15, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like stars among them in the sky, stars among them. What would it look like for us to be shining in this city to really make a difference to those around us? We're going to come into land, but before we respond, I want to just end with this thought. Because I have sensed that there are some people here, um, and from the moment you saw Blessed are the Pure in Heart on the screen, you thought, I'm out. Like, this is not this is not the week for me. Maybe you feel trapped in a cycle of sin or shame and you don't know the way out. And I want to tell you this morning that there is a way out of your cycle of guilt and shame and his name is Jesus. And when you receive forgiveness, your sin was removed forever. But there is also hope by the power of the Holy Spirit to recalibrate some of those cycles, those habits that you're struggling to not return to time and again. I feel this word really powerfully for some here today. What is the opposite of a pure heart? You might think a dirty one. You know, I think when I look at the Gospels and I look at the life of Jesus and the people that hung around him, pretty well known for their dirt oftentimes, I wonder if the opposite of a pure heart is actually a proud heart. A proud heart doesn't think it needs to change. It doesn't think it needs God at all. So if you're thinking purity of heart, if only you knew my thought life. If only you knew how dirty I feel inside. I'd say the opposite of a pure heart is not that. It is actually a proud heart. I'd say if if you're feeling that way, you're so much closer to purity of heart than you might think. It's not the healthy I've come for, but the sick, says Jesus. And remember the crowd that he's preaching to in this moment. As he looks across the faces gathered around him, spotting tax collectors, Samaritans, women, various outcasts from society. As he looks at them, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart. He's not talking to religious elites or holier than thou types who always do the right thing. But he is talking to those who have turned aside. He's talking to those who have climbed a mountain. He's talking to those who want to see God. And those are the ones that he looks at and he says, blessed are the pure in heart. They have come to that place wanting a glimpse of God. See, purity of heart, I think, is ultimately about surrender to God. And so if you're here today and you're desperate to be pure and longing to feel clean, then you have already met all the conditions of grace. The opposite of a pure heart is a proud one. A proud heart assumes that it has no need for grace, no room for improvement, and no desire for God. A proud heart is so self-satisfied that there's no room to enjoy God. If the pure in heart will see God, the proud in heart will see only themselves. And Lord, help me, I want more than that. Jesus' message was one of scandalous grace, complete freedom and redemption from sin for everyone. The only requirement is that your hands are open and wanting to take it. The theologian Karl Barth, after writing thousands of pages in his church dogmatics, finally arrived at this simple definition of God, the one who loves And I think purity of heart is about loving him back and making that love the central focus of our interior lives, causing a radical reorientation of the way that we live. We're going to pray together. Why don't you bow your heads for just a moment? I don't know if the band are able to come back. Thank you, Simon. And we're just going to take a couple of moments and see what the Lord might want to do in this moment in our midst. I've said a lot. And so we're just going to make a little bit of space to let the Holy Spirit begin to speak directly to us. I think there are a few things... That God wants to do this morning. And the first thing I think is um, if you are here today um, and you have not yet received that totally free gift of grace, that being washed. Why as snow being set free from your sins once and for all of eternity that moment of grace where you ask Jesus to forgive you and you come into right relationship with God if you're here today and you haven't done that yet and you want to do that you want to make this your moment I want to invite you to do that. Like I said, it's the best thing you will ever do. Everyone is going to just keep their eyes closed. If that's you, I just want to invite you to stick your hand up just so that I know and that we can make sure that you get prayed for at the end. Brilliant, thank you. Brilliant, thank you. And we would really love it, thank you, if you would come at the end and come down to the front. Make sure someone prays with you. Make sure that we can take a moment to um, to hug you and say, welcome to the best decision that you have ever made. Make sure you come and find someone. And then we want to just think um, for a moment about blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And this is a message for all of us. This is something that we all, I think, want to go after. We all want to see more of God. But for some of us, there will be something in particular—that that cycle of um, of just sin or shame or something—that we keep feeling like we're struggling to break free of. And we just want that move of the Spirit this morning to help empower us to overcome that. Um, and why don't we all stand to our feet, actually? and just begin to activate and partner with what God is doing in this moment. Um, And we're going to go into um, one last song of worship, I think. And if that is you, and you just say, you know what? I want to go after this. I want to go after this. I want to, you know, as Pete was saying, I don't want to be Bartimaeus at the side of the road hoping Jesus might notice me. Like, I want to be someone who cries out, who takes hold of this moment, who says, Jesus, I am here and I need you. We want to be like Moses and we want to see that God is doing something. And we, want to, we want to turn aside. And so if that's you, during this next space of worship, I want to invite you now just to come to the front. And we're going to just simply come forward and Kneel. And ask that the power of the Holy Spirit would encounter us in this moment right now. As we say, we want to be the pure in heart. We want to see more of God. So if that's you, I want to invite you just to start to come forward now. And we're going to get on our knees. And we're going to go after this together. We're not going to stay at the side of the road. We're not going to stay passive. We're going to say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Come, Holy Spirit and as people are coming forward I'm just going to offer a prayer Heavenly Father Lord Jesus we want more of you 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 you. God, we want to be the people who turn aside. We see you. We see you, but we want to see you more. And Lord Jesus, for those of us who just, we feel trapped, we feel um, unable to break out of whatever it is, Holy Spirit, we ask for a fresh filling of your power right now in this moment. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you set us free from those cycles? Would you fill us up? Lord Jesus, we are restless and we are looking and we are looking and may we look to you this morning and know the deep filling, the deep satisfaction that comes from encounter with you. So Holy Spirit, we ask right now for a breakthrough. And for all of us, I just want to end as we lead into worship with this prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. In Jesus' name, amen.